baby. That's right. Right here. You can dress in colorful gear or 60s gear or, you know, come in whatever you want because it's hot. So, welcome. My name is Melody and I am one of the pastors here at New Song Church. And I'm so happy to be with you this morning. Last week we were on a little bit of a vacation with our family because it was my husband's birthday. So, we had a little staycation. Yeah, that's right. I don't even know where he is. Oh, there he is. Good job, honey. Happy birthday from New Song. Um, so we are so happy to be back. We feel like we miss a ton when we're even gone one Sunday, so we're happy to be back with you. If you are just visiting us today and you're thinking, what is this church about? What, what are they like? What do they do? Well, you're about to hear all about it, but a good place to point you is number one to these walls. So that's our mission statement right there. We hope to be transformed by the Holy Spirit follow Jesus, love people, and do good. And we also believe in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, but in all things, love. And there's so much more to what these uh, things on the side say. And if you're curious about this, you may have been handed a worship guide as you walked in. Did you get it? Raise your hand. Yeah? Um, and if you didn't get it, you can get it on the way out, but there is lots of information here um, about why we do the things we do. Why do we teach? Why do we pray? Why do we sing? Why do we share financially? There's a lot of information in here, and if you ever, ever, ever want to know a little bit more about that, Grant and I are always available for you afterwards and during the week if you want to set something up to come chat with us. But uh, the best way, the best way to get to know New Song and um, staff and the pastors and the ministries here is to show up, is to show up and to do. Let me tell you, yesterday, so my nephew, I think he's helping in one of the kids' rooms today. My nephew works at In-N-Out. And yesterday he came and he was in his In-N-Out gear and he looked like he was on fire. And I was like, oh, buddy, were you? He's like, yeah, I was outside taking orders. And I said, when do you get to go in? He said, when it's 102 degrees. And so he didn't get to go in. And so I was like, oh, that's rough. But then I was like, actually, I'm glad you were outside. Good job standing out there. Because guess what? We had people here working in the garden yesterday. We had people in the pantry yesterday. It was hot. Yeah. And so I was thinking, you know, rain, wind, or shine, they send, you know, my nephew out there, the drive through guys. But rain, wind, or shine, ministries here are carried out at New Song. And we love to be involved in the community. We love to serve our community. We love to be in community. Will you say yes and amen to that? Yes, yes and amen. So as always, as always, we always mention it from up here. But my goodness, if you believe and you want to be part of the mission and the vision and the ministries here at New Song, we ask you that we would partner together. And as a community, we would do that by faithfully giving also. Faithfully giving and either doing it electronically or by sending your check in the mail or by texting. And None of these things, none, none, none of these things would be possible without our partnership together in this. Yes and amen? Yes, yes and amen. All right. Well, very good. So um, there's a lot of things going. There was a lot of things going on last week, too. My goodness, there were so many things. Um, the first thing I'm going to tell you about is signups. You may have passed it on the way in. There's a table out there with lots and lots of signups. There are signups for small groups that kicked off last week. Who is here? That's right. <clears throat> so if you missed it, it's okay. Come. It's a, I think it's a nine-week series. Nine-week series we're going to be in and... Come on Wednesday here at 6.30, and uh, we have little small groups. And again, it's the best way to jump in and get to know people and get to be known, okay? So there's sign-ups for that. If you sign up, at least sign up so that you get the email about it. How about that? Just sign up. You'll get an email. You don't even have to come. Just sign up and see if you, how you feel on Wednesday. But let me tell you, this last Wednesday was pretty awesome, because not only was it uh, the first small group meeting, but also Student Ministries was having a barbecue and just some fun time outside. We invited some kids from our Thursday Connect where we serve coffee during the year. It was a blast. 
It was a blast. And it was such, 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 I don't know, an encouragement to participate in because it was just so much life. So I know that we're used to coming in on Sundays and sitting and having our coffee and then saying amen and singing a song and leaving. But my goodness, come on a Wednesday night when the students are here. Come on a a Wednesday night when small group is happening. Come on a Saturday when Pantry and Gardner, you will see life like you wouldn't believe. Amen? Yes and amen to that. All right. I think I'm preaching. Sorry about that. I'll just keep preaching, okay? So signups. So there's small group signups out there for you to sign up for. There's also something coming up on August 6th that is called New Song Explored. New Song Explored. That's where uh, the pastors sit down with you and... um, just explain kind of what New Song is all about. We go in a little bit more in depth into what the ministries are and why we do the things we do. We go in a little bit more into what we believe and what we hold true to. So if you are interested in New Song Explored, there's a sign up for that. And there is, uh, can I say lunch is included? There is lunch included. Nancy gave me the nod. So sometimes I promise things up here and then I made a mistake. So lunch is included for that on Wednesday the 6th. Sunday the 6th. There we go. I'm getting too excited up here. Okay, so sign up for small groups. The other thing you can sign up, and this is first and foremost to all the things we do here, and it is the prayer ministry. So the prayer ministry is led by Sonia Kakuchalo. there. Raise your hand, Sonia. There you go. Um, Yeah, thank you, Sonia. So Sonia checks in with me, for example, and she says, Melody, how can I be praying for women's ministries? Melody, how can I be praying for the pantry ministry? Melody, how can I be praying for the garden ministry? Melody, how can I be praying for blah, 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 blah. And she'll go to everyone who runs a ministry, and she'll ask, how can we be praying for you? And then she sends an email out to people who are assigned to that specific prayer, to pray for that specific ministry. So it's no real show-up commitment on your part. It is a huge commitment to pray on your part because we can't do anything without prayer. Yes? Yes and amen. There's a lot of yes and amens here. I'm just setting you up for a good sermon. So, um, all right. So lots of sign-ups. Also... Shoot, I left it there. Can I have a prayer card? Did someone get that? Yes, you were handed something like this as you walked in, yes? Yes Yes and amen, thank you. So today, a little bit later, we're going to be welcoming Stephen Menzies on the stage here. Yes, we're very excited about that. And what better way to welcome him than to kick him off to camp with all the kids? Yeah. Yeah? Uh, He and Jess and the leaders are so excited to go. It's been so fun getting to know Stephen and Jessica and seeing the excitement on the kids who are going to camp. So this card details out the leaders' names and the students' names who are going. So you can be praying specifically for those names. And there's how to pray for it, for safety and wellness, for transformation, and for community. So together as a community, can we pray? Yes, and next week, yes, amen, thank you, Linda. Um, Next week, we're actually going to bring all the camp kids and all the leaders who are here, and we are going to pray over them and just wish them well, because the next morning, they will be taking off bright and early. So um, make sure that you put that somewhere where you can see it and start praying now. Um, All right, I think that is all I have to say. Oh, I'm forgetting the biggest one. So... If you are a male in the house, uh, today there is a special gathering for you. The men are going to meet over at Glendora Public Market uh, at 5 p.m. today. And it's a great place. There's great burritos. There's great burgers. There's great nachos. So at 5 p.m. today, please take yourself Grab, I don't know, do you have a son? Do you have a brother? Do you have a neighbor? Do you have a friend? Grab all the men that you can grab around you guys and take them down to this place. It's a really great place just to hang out for a little bit, have a little chat, and get to know each other a little bit more. So if you haven't noticed here at New Song, we really, really, really want to know who you are, and we want you to know us. And so, well, actually, that's totally wrong. There's no you and us. It's us, right? It's us. And we are all in this together. We're going to sing that one day up here. We're all in this together. Yeah? 
let's do it. So um, I'm going to pray right now because we are all in this together, and we are so thankful that uh, we get to partner together and be in community. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much this morning for the opportunity to uh, just gather in your name. Lord, thank you for the songs that were sung, for just all the things that have already happened this morning. Lord, I pray that as each of us calms our minds and our hearts and um, we hear what Grant has brought this morning, Lord, Lord, that we would just be open to what your message is this morning. Maybe it's for us. Maybe if it's for us to give someone this morning, maybe it's an encouragement. Maybe it's a word of, I don't know, care. Maybe it's a word of concern. Lord, would you prepare us to hear what you would have us say to ourselves and to each other this morning? Thank you that there's so much life in this room, Lord. There's so much life in this room, and there's so much life outside of this room, Lord. Thank you that we get to do this for the honor and glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Introducing the one and only, <laughs> Pastor Grant. The one and only. Thanks, Mel. Thank you, thank you. How's everyone doing today? Don't mention my shirt, okay? I couldn't sustain the colorful thing for more than three weeks. It was hard. But I'm working on it. So my name is, yeah, my name is Grant Miles Era. Can I get a yes and amen? <laughs> Agreed on that one. Um, so we're in uh, a series for the summer, as you heard, Summer of Love. Um, and last week, uh, we started it just last week. Um, what better place to start than with the concept that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. So we're doing three weeks about scripture. Um, and this is week two. I started last week with a question, which uh, a Bible teacher, her name is Rosa, up on Orcas Island, used to ask all the time. And I would always forget the correct answer and get panicky. You know, when an old saint asks you a question about theology and you just start, you know, oh no, I'm pastor of the church. What's the answer again? And she would ask, what is the central characteristic of God? And it was, I'd always forget. And actually the answer that she would give is righteousness. Uh, and it was kind of a trick question last week because we're in the summer of love. So, of course, you're thinking like, oh, love. Yeah, got it right. But it's, it's righteousness. And I, I said I, I agree somewhat with that, that, that God's righteousness is the central characteristic because everything else kind of flows from that. Um, but, but the thing that I also said last week is that the place where God's righteousness more clearly and powerfully touches our lives is in his love. His love is the manifestation of his righteousness. His perfect righteousness is his perfect love, and that is where he connects with us most powerfully. And so we're in the series, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, and the Bible tells us this. Last week, we just simply asked, well, what is scripture? For those of you who were here, I hope it was helpful. But this week, we're talking about the Old Testament. And by the way, for those of you who are wondering why we've not been singing Jesus Loves Me, we're actually going to sing it next week as a kind of concluding you know, song together about this wonderful truth that the Bible tells us that we are loved. But this week we're in the uh, Old Testament. And it's really interesting. I was reading about the Old Testament recently and archaeologists and all these people, anthropologists and museums all around the world testify to the amazing architecture and artworks of many civilizations. But there is relatively few of that from the Jewish nation, from, from the Hebrews, and one of the reasons is because there was a prohibition against making images that shall not make graven images of gods or God or anything in stone or wood of animals and, and worship them. Uh, but the people of God of the Old Testament were all about writing. So compared to most civilizations, what we've been given by this civilization, possibly because of this prohibition against images, is this incredible set of writings that we call the Old Testament. And it is hugely diverse. And it's a challenging set of texts, and partly from its diversity is everything from poetry to stories and historical records and songs and poems and lists and prophecies. Now, we have 39 books in our, in our Old Testament, the Protestant tradition does. Uh, the Jewish canon originally had 24 because they had books which were, as, as one, we have First Second Chronicles, First Second Kings, First Second Samuel, they were just all one book. And then the minor prophets at the end of the, New Testament, the Old Testament were all one book. Um, but it's the same text. We, uh, 
uh, read and consider to be the inspired word of God, the same text that our, our ancestors did in the Jewish faith. You know, it may seem to many people, especially in this day and age, obscure or irrelevant, the Old Testament. But if you look around and listen, you will realize that the Old Testament is everywhere in our history and our culture. One of the places where the Old Testament has appeared and does appear is in our sayings, things that we say, not realizing that the origin of these popular sayings was the Old Testament. For example, right at the beginning, let there be light. Uh, the word, the concept of forbidden fruit, forbidden fruit. How the mighty have fallen. That's when Saul and his son died in a battle, and that was, that's actually in this lament, how the mighty have fallen. Uh, to put words in someone else's mouth comes from the Old Testament. The writing is on the wall, ladies and gentlemen. And then, what's that song by Queen again? Right? It is from the Psalms. Actually, the original Hebrew word I mean, is lick the dust, but it actually derived from there the concept of biting the dust. Um, there's nothing new under the sun. Ever said that? And no rest for the wicked. I say that all the time. I say no rest for the weary, you know, but, but no rest for the wicked. And, and also in the arts, it would be impossible to catalog all of the artwork in sculpture and painting and, and a myriad of artworks and literature that has its origin in the stories and the text of the Old Testament. Um, in music, especially, it's just full of rich metaphor and ideas for music from, we're doing the summer of love, right? So I gotta mention the birds, right? Turn, turn, turn to everything. There is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, etc. And then Jimi Hendrix himself covered the Bob Dylan song, All Along the Watchtower. If you listen to that song, it's almost like listening to a, a, a biblical exposition on the Old Testament. And then even more recently, in a surprising place, in the world of US thrash metal, which I am a massive fan of, by the way, had to slip Metallica in here. You know, we think it's all like devil worshiping and stuff, but their song, Creeping Death, is it's just a complete, it's an exposition of the... Uh, the plagues in, in Egypt that caused uh, Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. It says, so let it be written, so let it be done. I'm sent here by the chosen one, so let it be written, so let it be done to kill the firstborn Pharaoh's son. I'm creeping death, right? So it has been captivating and inspiring people for thousands of years. What a gift to the world. We would not be the same without these texts. But we asked the question this morning, where is God's love in the Old Testament? Because it would not be an exaggeration to suggest that many people in our day and age and our culture, love is not the first thing that comes to mind when they think about what they have received about the Old Testament. And in fact, that's probably why bands like Metallica are drawn to these texts, because there's a lot of heavy metal material in the Hebrew Scriptures. And some people have really taken kind of advantage of that, and they have pointed out certain aspects of the way God's character may appear and the things that are reported in the Old Testament. Uh, Richard Dawkins is one of them, who's a pretty famous, well, what's called the New Atheists. I'm not sure what they're called now because that kind of passed away. Um, uh, but he wrote this book called The God Delusion. And he wrote about this. He said, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all of fiction. Fiction, of course, right? Jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, philicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, serial-masochistic, capriciously malevolent bully, right? And I've read that book, actually. It was a kind of a big deal, but a men's group that I led in another church, we, we studied the God delusion. <clears throat> and I uh, thought, well, you know, if this thing stands up and holds up, then, you know, we can maybe learn something from it. But it is a poorly argued, intellectually dishonest and not at all convincing book as far as I'm concerned. And in fact, one critic who is actually probably not an enemy of Dawkins, although, you know, even within the world of atheism, there's a lot of enemies and arguments about, you know, who's more right than everyone else. Um, but this, this guy basically said it's a poorly argued intellectually, sorry, he said it, no, it would fail any introductory, introductory philosophy or religion class. See, this is one of his, maybe his, you know, co-scholars said it's just not very good on the basics of religion. It's, it's, it's misunderstanding so much. But the fact remains, love is maybe not the first thing, we gotta admit, when people think of the Old Testament, um, and, and we think mostly about, well, if Jesus is God and this God is also in the Old Testament, they just seem like nothing like each other. There seems to be a huge difference. I think most people would think that. 
Um, last week I gave some reasons as to why, why scripture is hard, and I think these reasons also apply to why we might find this to be so when we read the Old Testament. Uh, last week I shared uh, these, these points. Uh, first, it's challenging. The Old Testament is challenging. It's difficult. It's a difficult read. It has been misused. The Old Testament has been misused for all kinds of terrible things. Uh, a lack of familiarity. It's not a familiar place to us. It's so different. Customs, cultural um, realities, just the time span between our life and the life of the people who wrote these things down is bound to cause misunderstanding and difficulty. Um, so, but too much familiarity. I mean, I think that's what someone like Dawkins did. He didn't research the best scholarship on the Old Testament. He, you know, potentially just thought, what do I know about this? And just kind of like splurged it on the page. You know, I think we, we don't understand much about it or we think we know it all. Uh, unbelief, we talked last week about uh, trying to understand a belief without belief is like trying to sing a song without the tune. It, it kind of calls us into a humble approach to even begin to connect with this living word of God. Yeah, but for those of us who have who spent some time with the Old Testament, I think you could probably point out some things that maybe demonstrate that there is a God of love in the Old Testament. So uh, we have staff meeting every Tuesday. Um, we're going to be uh, welcoming, oh, Stephen's, it was his first staff meeting. Where is Stephen, by the way? I'm going to keep referring, he's my guy to refer to today, just positively. You're a positive example this morning, Stephen, okay? Yeah. Unlike, I just got, sorry, unlike Scotland, I visited a jail one time in Scotland, and there was this, uh, illustr- like a, an exhibition about Scottish religion back in the day, and there was a thing called the penitence chair, and it was a stool sat in front of the pulpit, and whoever had like missed church or done something else as terrible as that had to sit there during the service and would be used as an example of how not to be by the pastor. I think we should bring that back. <laughs> but we had staff meeting on Tuesday and like I mentioned last week, my conviction is that scripture, because it was given to a community, is best read and studied in community. Uh, and we do that at teaching team, Melody and I do that, no matter who's preaching, we kind of think about the text. But also, at staff meeting, we open up the text and we say, well, you know, what do we think about this? Uh, and each person brings their, you know, they, you know, they have the spirit of God. And, and sometimes it's, it's always interesting what people share about the text, but sometimes it's really surprising. And so I asked the question this week, I said, where is God's love demonstrated in the Old Testament? And there was no hesitation. There were a lot of things that people quickly jumped to. For example, even the laws of the Old Testament, many of the laws there were for the benefit of the people. God showed his love by giving them laws that would help them to maintain hygiene in a desert climate. It's pretty remarkable. Um, Actually, Stephen mentioned about the temple and the tabernacle that God seemed to have a longing to be amongst his people. He wanted to be near them. And then also the concept of when they were in the exile and Daniel was, was spared from the lion and then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were spared in this fire. There was other figure who appeared with them in the fire and they were untouched. Even their clothes didn't smell like fire once they were taken out because they didn't bow to the king. Outsiders are welcomed in. It's amazing, actually. Compared to all the other nations around, they were told to welcome the foreigner and the outsider to come and be part of them. The love of God is all over the pages of the Old Testament. And I think really because people had experience of God and they wrote down their experiences and we have some wonderful statements of that, even as early as Exodus. I mean, what greater thing than to be released from slavery into freedom? They said, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Zephaniah 3.17, and I've often ended like memorial services with this text because when I found it, it just spoke so profoundly to me about the tenderness and love of God. The Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Psalm 149, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are all over his works. And then God testifies uh, through his prophets. Amazing, uh, in Isaiah 66, as a mother comforts her child, God says, so I will comfort you, and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. I love the maternal images and metaphors used of God in the Old Testament. There's nothing really more tender than that. Like a mother, I will comfort you. 
And then Isaiah 43, and now this is what the Lord says. He, create, who, he who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You're precious and honored in my sight. I love you. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. There's a testimony in the Old Testament of the people who experienced these, these times, this journey in a, such a different world, but they connected. Last week I talked about you know, what the Old Testament is. It really is the testimony of people who encountered or were encountered by something otherworldly that they came to know as creator and Lord, savior, authority and protector, and perhaps even the lover of their souls. So if this is the end of the story, if this is the truth then, then we should really have no trouble understanding just on a basic level that the Old Testament just is all about the love of God and, and all the testimonies of God's people in the Old Testament should be fully just echoing with this love, but they're not. There's a lot of painful stuff in the Old Testament, a lot of complaint, a lot of anger, a lot of loss, and, and where are you, God? The Psalms are full of lament. And that comes up into the modern time of God's people, the Jewish people, there's a line from the fiddler on the roof. I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. Is it Lindell? No, Tevye? Tevye, yeah. Uh, he said, I know, I know, we're your chosen people, but once in a while, can't you choose someone else? You know? So why does it maybe often seem that this God, this God of the Old Testament is, is, is not loving in the way that we might hope or expect him to be? And I think there's three reasons that we might think about and the first one is that he is an unknowable God. God is an unknowable God. The God of the Old Testament is not someone, something we can access or, or understand. That's why there's all these ideas of fire and earthquake and storms and plagues. It's just the grandeur. We talk about righteousness, but eternal in all his ways. He is so other. We should have no expectation of understanding what his love really looks like. In Isaiah, God through the prophet says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as, high, high, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways are my thoughts, than your thoughts. Nothing like us. We are made in his image. We are like God in some aspects, but God is not like us. In Romans, Paul says the very same thing. So this is post-Jesus resurrection. Paul calls an apostle to the Gentiles, having these profound experiences, writing scripture, serving God, and all the difficulty of what that meant. And he says, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Is it any wonder that given this to be true, that we maybe don't understand what, according to our evaluation of what love should look like, that we don't. I, I'm thinking it's kind of like if I was to introduce myself to a colony of amoebas with my microscope, I discovered a colony of tiny single-celled organisms, and I'm like, I'm going to befriend them. I'm going to love them. It's like, what's the cartoon when he's like, um, who's like, I will call you Fred. You know, I will hug you and squeeze you and love you. <laughs> what's that again? Some... Yeah, it's like, it's like whatever. But you know me, I'm just like, I love you so much, you tiny organisms. I'm going to enter, I'm going to help you, and I'm going to, you know, just the sheer scale. Would it be any wonder if they were terrified of their wits by my incursions into their tiny life? It's maybe not a perfect analogy, but I find it helpful to me to think about that scale this is not just some localized tribal God made of stone or wood. This is the creator of the all that there is before all things, after all things, over all things, the Lord of hosts, King of kings, and he's entering into our small, frail human lives. And the Old Testament consists of human beings trying to describe the indescribable God his nature, his works, and his will in human language, and we are limited, and we don't know what he's doing. So that's the first thing. He is really, in the Old Testament, he's an unknowable God, except as he makes himself known, and that can be terrifying. 
The second thing is he's a jealous God. He is a jealous God. In Exodus 20, you shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. You know, jealousy is typically considered a negative trait, isn't it? Sort of like breaking the 12th, the 12th commandment or so, right? No, the 10th commandment, I shall not covet. Do not covet. But, but here's the thing. If the central characteristic of God is righteousness and God is described as a jealous God, then he is righteously jealous. His jealousy, once again, we don't understand, according to our estimation of what jealousy is, God's is nothing like ours. But this is how he's described. But we can see somewhat this in relationships and it really is a matter of prepositions. I had to look this up because my grammar is terrible. I was like, what are these words in grammar? And I thought I'd appear smart, but I just blew it by telling you that I had to look it up on Google. <laughs> but the difference that a proposition can make, okay? Of or for. I am jealous of Rona. You'd be concerned if I were to say that. I'm jealous of my wife. But if I said I am jealous for Rona, I am jealous for her. It's a different, whole different matter. Like maybe that's an archaic way of saying something, but I think we still kind of have a sense of what that means. I'm jealous for her. You know, Augustine said, he who is not jealous is not in love or does not love. There's something fierce about this, that the, the one who loves is jealous for the one loved. It's like the John Mark McMillan song that that Crowder did, right? He is jealous for me, loves like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath, what's the rest of the line, anyone? The way of his, shout it out. Wind and mercy, is that what it is? I can't remember. That was actually a mistake in the slide, I'm very honest. I just didn't finish it, but I almost got away with pretending I left it as a blank. Hmm. Bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. That's it, yeah. But isn't that picture? I love that idea. That God's love is so fierce. That it's kind of an encourage too much. He knows that I will never be satisfied, content without his presence in my life, without my full participation in the life that he offers me. And he will not be content to let me wander off in, as the Old Testament calls it, adultery, wandering off seeking other places for satisfaction and pleasure and whatever it might be. And we all do it. There's always something like old hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. We're prone to that. But that doesn't stop his love because he knows that we are fickle and easily we get our eyes caught like that. It's like that, you know, the meme that's got the guy looking around over his shoulder, uh, another girl, and he's with this girl. Have you seen that meme? The young people have definitely seen it. You could probably do one of, you know, like, you know, walking along with God, but you're like, oh, look, whatever <laughs> you want to put on that thing. I should have made that. Um, so, yeah, so the third thing, so he is an unknowable God, so, you know, his incursions into our life may not, may not feel like love, and in the Old Testament, it was a, often a terrifying experience. The second thing, he's a jealous God. He will be jealous for us, and sometimes that's going to mess with our schedule. And then the last thing here is a purposeful God. He is a God of purpose. He is working to his will, to his ends, and his purposes for us are loving. But unfortunately, when our lives, our human lives meet God's purposes, it can often seem confusing and somewhat seem even downright wrong when our plans hit his purposes. But his love will not fail, and he will, he will continue on. You know, we're doing Hebrews. We were doing Hebrews before the summer of love, and we're going to continue again in the fall, back to Hebrews again. And one of the reasons we love Hebrews or decided to do it is because it elevates Jesus to such a high extent. It's, it's, just, it's all about Jesus. But the author, in, in elevating Jesus, always has their eye on the Old Testament. It's a continuous story. And that's so beautiful. That's a wonderful reason to study Hebrews, because you get kind of the whole picture 
And so in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer says, my son, do not make light, and it's quoting from Proverbs, Old Testament passage, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens everyone he accepts as a son or a daughter or a child. And then the author says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, speaking from experience, right? But painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. God is a purposeful God. He's not gonna stop his purposeful work in your life because you're feeling a little bit, you know, it's difficult. He is purposeful. And I was thinking about, you know, being a father, how so like, how so, this is so like a parent with a child, mother or father with a child. These three things are so part of child rearing, you know, unknowable. You know, when you're a kid, you, you, just, you don't know the, what your parent knows, the scale of their understanding. It all comes from their love. That this, this person loves you, not some other understandable person, but this person loves you. And they are jealous for you. They'll freak out sometimes. I, uh, <laughs> we did a Bible study the other day at Charter Oak next door. And we, uh, Terry Stratz, who some of you probably know, she left two years to ago to move to Arizona, but she still comes to our Bible study every Thursday on, on our phone. Um, my daughter called me during the Bible study. And my first thing was kind of like, I felt immediately, oh no, is she okay? And I was like, um, I'm in the Bible study. It's okay, it's fine. You know, cancel. But then she called Rona's phone, and Terry was on FaceTime on this phone, and I just immediately just grabbed it and like answered it. And Rona's like, you just cut Terry off. I'm like, I don't care. I was so super triggered, like, no. She rarely ever calls me. She texts me. And she called me, and then she called you. Something happened. You know? And it, but it was, it was kind of an annoyance. You know, I do stuff like that. You know, I like, you know I, I'm, I'm jealous of my kid. I'm not jealous of my kid. Actually, I am kind of jealous of my kid because she's so much more talented than me. She's so much smarter than me. She's so far ahead of me at 23 than I was at 23. But in my better moments, I'm like, good job. I'm jealous for you and I'm happy for you. But no, I am, I am I fiercely. And, and then purposeful. A parent with a child, there's purpose. Brush your teeth. I don't want to brush my teeth. Well, you're going to lose them. Whatever it might be, right? Parents who love their children, they will sometimes push the purpose. Even though the child does not at that point understand this is good for them. And it doesn't even feel like love, look like love, sound like love. But the parent brings their purpose to bear. But think about this. God is a perfect parent. If we think about it in terms of that. And I am not Compared to the reality of God's love for us, as displayed in the Old Testament, I am a terrible father. You meant to say, come on. No, you're not. No, you're not. Thanks, Ron. No. <clears throat> for illustrative purposes only, if God, if we compare my parenting to God's parenting, I don't even come on the chart as far as anything righteous or good. His love for us is profound. But he is, at least in, as he was presented to us in the Old Testament, he is not knowable. He is pursuing with jealous love his people. And he is purposeful. And I think to understand maybe the love of God in the Old Testament, we have to zoom out quite a bit. Kind of step back and see the whole thing more as a whole rather than these momentary moments where you go like, well, that doesn't look very loving. Just zoom right out to understand the Old Testament God in the big picture. What is the Bible about? What is the Old Testament about? Well, it's about God, yes. It's about salvation, yes. There's plan of redemption, there's the fall, and there's you know, this, this kind of to reclaim and renew and restore all that was lost. But I think one of the best ways to understand the whole story is in two things. One, one is promise and one is fulfillment. Promise and fulfillment. And I think this is where we find the faithful love of God in the Old Testament. You know, there are some forms of love that proclaim themselves quickly. I love you. It's the whole thing when you like, date someone. Not that I ever did, apart from Rana and my wife. And, but you know, like, who's going to say I love you first, right? Some people are super quick to say I love you. 
There's a kind of love that just proclaims itself really quickly, but does not follow up with, with what it initially claims. Um, and there's another kind of love, and it's God's love. And it, 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 it shows itself in promises, faithful promises. And the whole story of the Old Testament is God making promises to his people and in love and faithfulness, fulfilling them regardless of the circumstances. There is no other love like it. God's love will always remain. The whole story of the people of God in the Old Testament is failure after failure after failure and God's love persistently always turning back to them and calling them back into relationship again and again and again and again and again and using the very failures that should have shipwrecked the whole thing to bring about his plan for their salvation and ours. You know, that in the First Corinthians, there's a text that we use at weddings a lot about love, right? You guys know this one? And I used to sometimes read it as like an address to the couple. And I realized that that's just not how it's supposed to be done because it's unattainable. <laughs> hey, guys. You know, so here's the text, right? Love is patient, love is kind. Does not envy, does not boast, is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, rejoices with the truth, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. But I still sometimes read it in weddings, but not for that reason, not to say, here's, your, here's the thing you're to, you're to measure up to, but rather to say, this is what the love of God is like. This is the love that will sustain you and nourish your relationship and empower you to love one another. And that works for the unmarried people too and all of us together in this room. This love, this is what God's love is like. It's not that we're able to love like this, it's that we have access to this kind of love to nourish, sustain, and empower us to love one another. And that's what happened all through the Old Testament. Regardless of the failure of the people, he made these covenants and he fulfilled them. With Adam and Eve, yes, this is terrible, this is dreadful, this is broken, this is horrifying. Even the fact someone once read that, I read this, this thing once, that the reason God expelled Adam and Eve from the garden is so they would not eat from the tree of life and be sinners forever, immortal, undying in this broken state, that they would die and therefore they would have access to resurrection. Noah, Abraham, go to a land I will show you. I'll make you as numerous as the stars in the heaven and the sand on the shore and through you all nations will be blessed and King David and the prophets. And Joseph, a little story, I just love this comment that when Joseph realizes that all the hardship he's been through for years, forgotten, languishing in a jail in Egypt, and his brothers come to him looking for food, and he's now in a position to take revenge, and he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. He didn't know but there was a, an unknowable, mysterious, but jealous and purposeful God working through his life. I think one of the greatest things about the Old Testament and about the Jewish people is the way that God has preserved them through all of the trials of their lives and that Christ himself came out of that line. And that's next week. Next week we're talking about the New Testament. I've been trying to keep in my lane here, Right? But you know, this is, this is what all the promise and fulfillment leads up to. This is why we worship Christ. He is the embodiment of all of the love of God. As Christ said, this is what I told you when I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Understand this is love coming at you people. So in conclusion, uh, I'm going to ask Ben to come up. Uh, as we think about entering into a time of communion, which we do every week at New Song Church. As I said before, during the pandemic, we realized the one thing that we couldn't do satisfactorily was take the Lord's Supper together, take communion together. So we decided that when we're together, we're gonna do it whenever we gather. Um, I think one of the greatest things to do, perhaps, about thinking about the love of God in the Old Testament is to ask an expert. You know, we go to experts for all kinds of things. Someone who is experienced and knowledgeable, uh, about all aspects of the picture, the story. Uh, and, and the Apostle Paul, I think, is someone that we could ask. Really a, a genuine person in history. We know a lot about him. He wrote a lot of things. Uh, we have them to read. And, and it's an amazing story. He was one of the most educated men in terms of the Old Testament of his time. Rigorously educated about the Old Testament. But also, he came to this faith in Christ, the fulfillment of all the scriptures that he fully understood and knew. And I think he's a wonderful 
testimony and witness to how we might understand. And he wrote something which at the time, when he refers to scriptures, there were no other scriptures other than the Old Testament, which we know is the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. And this is what Paul wrote to his friends, okay? And he's, he's facing a lot of challenges. And he's pointing them to a place where they might meet the love of God and therefore have this, to be sustained with the challenges ahead of them. And in Romans chapter 15, he writes, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Because these scriptures point to the same God who loved us and gave himself for us. And they are part of our, the gift. As I said last week, when we read the scriptures, we're not reading someone else's letters. Um, so we're going to enter into communion now as a response. I really, there's nothing I want more for myself personally, but also for everyone here and everyone I meet, then that they would know how much God loves them. I can't describe it with words, but that is my desire. So I'm going to ask us to do something um, as we prepare for communion. And that is to close your eyes, if you will. And I'm just going to read some, some simple scriptures. I just want us to ponder these statements. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you. So by means of response, you know, we... We invite all who wish to participate this morning as, as a testimony that is your desire to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, and that which is that you would do would be empowered by the love that God, before all loves, has poured out on you. Uh, in your own time, you can come up, and there's a station at the back and a station at the front to take a piece of bread and the cup, and then we will hold those together and in a minute, we will take communion together in remembrance of Christ who gave his life for us, for God to love the world. In the Gospels, it says that Jesus, um, on the night when he gathered with his disciples, he knew that the time had come for him to return to the Father. It says that just, well, all the pieces were in place for what was about to occur that night. Um, and it says, and having loved his disciples, his friends, to the end, he now showed them the full extent of his love. And in that passage, he washes their feet, and they're kind of shocked. 
by how low he stoops in his service to them, but that's not the lowest he's going to stoop because he's going to give it all for his friends and for every person who has come to that place of receiving him. It's all been done. He has done it. But also that night he took bread and when he had broken it, he gave thanks and he said, take and eat. This is my body, uh, which is for you. Let's take the bread. And he took a cup. A strange symbol because the wine that was in the cup was a symbol for joy. And he says, this is my blood that is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. You know, that's the story of this faith that is this brokenness and beauty and there is, there is suffering and there is joy. Um, and in all of that, we are, we are held by his love and this is a symbol of that love in a very practical way. We take the cup. Lord, we thank you that like a mother, you hold us tenderly. And like a mother, you sing over us, quieting us with your love. Like a good father, you you watch us, you guard us, you correct us. Like good parents, your desire for us is to see us grow fully into all that we have, all the capacities that you've placed in us to become fully ourselves, not to be co-opted by someone else's idea of our identity, whatever that might look like, but to truly in the unity we have in Christ Jesus to become diverse in who we are with all the color and beauty and diversity of your great creation. So Lord, nourish and sustain us with your love. Draw from us praises in response. For we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.